Hello, and welcome to PS Love, the show interviewing SMU President Scholars alumni. Joining me in this episode is Trevor Youngblood. Trevor is an artist, programmer, and competitive Super Smash Bros. player who combined all of those things to get his dream job as the programming and gameplay lead for the indie platform fighter Rivals of Ether. And talking with him, I really got a sense that this is his dream job. He has achieved what I think is a lot of people's dream of being able to make video games as his career, and he's loving it. Trevor is also one of my very good friends. Enjoy this episode with Trevor. I, I will say that. You are a, a prepared boy. Uh, we're just talking about your hair, how you haven't gotten it cut since March. Uh, I'm so impressed. I learned how to cut my own hair uh, so that I didn't look like a hobo. My hair looks terrible if it gets like half an inch longer. Uh, yours looks great. It's like, old <laughs> you got the cool man bun going on. Uh, I, I dig it. Yeah, it's, this is mostly for function, but then I looked in the mirror and I was like, ooh, look at that. That looks pretty cool. <laughs> I just don't like my hair and my face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, really it's, a, it's a great look. Uh, how are you? <laughs> well, uh, how's your day been? What are you up to? Uh, it's been going great. Yeah, I'm just uh, busy at work. Um, I took Sylvie to go get her COVID shot today. Ooh. Wow, that was pretty cool. How yeah. was that? Is she? Uh, it was good. Cool. Yeah. She got the, yeah, she got it, and then we drove back. And then I was like, man, it's going to be like months before I can get it. Yeah, because she's, uh, so she's a. Is she an essential worker? She's in. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll That's right. For listeners who don't know, Sylvie is Trevor's fiance. Is that correct? Wife. Wife. Okay. Uh, yeah. We've been married for more than a year and a half. Okay. Wedding hasn't happened yet, though. No. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. That that makes sense. Uh, Trevor and Sylvie are one of the several uh, president scholar couples that coupled up. Uh, <laughs> several power couples that. Uh, <laughs> Seems to happen. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, that makes sense yeah. that uh, that she was able to to get it before you. Uh, neat. You mentioned did a little bit of work. What does work look like for you? Well, I sit here for eight hours. <laughs> And uh, basically, I'm working on two games at once. One which I can't talk at all about, because secret NDAs, whatever. Nope. The other is Rivals of Ether, which, go buy it. It's cool. Uh, basically, with that game right now, I'm just fixing bugs every once in a while. Okay. Like if somebody has a really big bug, but mostly I'm on the secret project that I can't talk about. Gotcha. That's related yeah. to Rivals of Aether, or it's it's something completely different. Yeah, it's related. Okay. We've we've teased a bit about it, but it's like really cool, <laughs> and I want to talk about it, but I can't. <laughs> I I'm excited. I'm always so impressed by the the level of April Fool's Day pranks that you pull of launching entirely new games. Oh oh, am I onto something? Is this is that what the thing yeah, is? Yeah, I mean that's. Basically, I can't talk about what I'm doing until after April. Okay, interesting. All right, from contextual <laughs> clues, I feel like I can deduce that uh, what what you might be working on. Uh, yeah, basically, we just we kept upscaling our April Fool's pranks. You know, we did one year it was like, "Haha, look at this funny joke." Then the next year it was like, "Oh, look, we put a little bit of effort into this joke." Then the third year it was like, "Hey, look, we made a whole game. Uh, it's a joke, by the way." <laughs> And then it's just, what do we do? What do we do this year? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's crazy. You're gonna launch a competitor to your own game that's gonna be even better than Rivals. Uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Rivals. You 
are living yeah. the dream of so many people. When oh, I was yeah. I was talking to my brother Justin, who's a uh, freshman in college right now, about like what he would want to do. Yeah, right. He's so old. Uh, and he was thinking about mechanical oh. engineering, but then was really bored of the classes. And I was like, okay, just think about like what are things that you enjoy, and what would you want to work on. And one of the top things that came up was like video game design. What a dream career to be able to make a video game. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about that of uh, Rivals of Ether in particular. I uh, it's a, an indie fighting game. I just pulled it up on Steam. You have fourteen thousand four hundred and fifty-two reviews. Uh, I think ninety-five percent of which are positive. And if that's the reviews, I imagine your downloads are like ten to a hundred times more than that. Um, yeah, we're doing pretty good. At one point, I think we were like the fourth highest-selling fighting game on Steam. Amazing. I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. That's incredible. The, oh man, yeah. you're, you're doing it. You're building the the indie game dream. I love it. Uh, yeah. Platforms on. And, and go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm basically like the lead programmer on it right now too. Just because like, well, I was before I started this new project. Now I barely touch that game, but I was, and it was crazy because it's weird just coming into a game not knowing or coming into the company not knowing anyone there, and then being like, hey, here's like. A new programmer who's going to be the programmer. Really Talk to me about how that happened. For for people who would like to be able to do something like this, to, yeah. to be able to code an indie game and okay. have it be their job. But I'm going to start at the very beginning. If we're going to, oh, do let's that. go for it. So basically, basically, when I was a little baby boy, I was like, man, video games are cool. Oh man, I love drawing video game characters and coming up with video game mechanics. Ooh, I want to become a game designer. And so then in seventh grade, the community college uh, where I live was offering a game design course which taught Game Maker, which is, uh, is a 2D anime, like a 2D game development engine. Uh, still around today, still good, recommend it. Uh, and I learned that like barely. And then I basically took the rest of from seventh grade till the end of high school teaching myself how to program. And, you know, I, I was teaching myself, so there were a bunch of things that I didn't know. Uh, then I got to SMU and took my first programming course, and it really highlighted the difference between learning programming by myself and learning programming from somebody who knows how to program. Uh, so that was cool. And then I learned to program, went to Guildhall, which Guildhall was the reason I went to SMU in the first place. It's, it was the number two game design school when I applied to SMU. And then once I got there, it was the number one school. So I was like, yeah, all right, all right. And one of the trips they do at uh, Guildhall is they take you to GDC, um, which is Game Developers Conference. It's where a bunch of people go to like talk, network, whatever. Uh, and Dan, who is the creator of Rivals of Ether, was there that year. And I have played competitive Smash Bros since for probably like eight years now. And so I challenged him to a game of Rivals of Ether while we were there. And I beat him. <laughs> I was like, ha ha, I gotcha. And then afterwards, like, like I networked, whatever, whatever. My roommate at the time emailed him being like, hey, you should hire this guy. He really knows what he's doing. And then Dan messaged me. He's like, hey, we are looking for a programmer. Uh, do you want to be part of the team? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Because it helped. Uh, Rivals is made in Game Maker, which is the, the uh, engine I've been using since seventh grade. So it was, you know, 
kind of a really good fit in a lot of ways. That works out perfectly. I'm reminded of uh, the the adage that chance favors the prepared mind or something like that, where you Ooh. you had gone through this work of teaching yourself Game Maker on your own. You had set yourself up at the number one game-making program in the country. Uh, and the world. Oh, in the world. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, oh, the country is yeah. practically the world. Uh, <laughs> and... So then, when you met Dan at this conference, it, it just everything snapped into place. You were you were prepared yeah. to take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as luck, but you're right. It, it really is a lot of not luck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had I did have to do a lot to put myself in a position where luck could take over. Sure, years of work to to go into that moment of your roommate <laughs> uh, messaging Dan. You said something that I'm interested in that i'd love to dig into you said that there was a huge difference between teaching yourself game maker and learning from someone who actually knew how to program what's that difference because when you're teaching or when i was teaching myself to program i basically only taught myself things that i needed Hmm. to know so i needed to know how to do whatever 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 then i got to college and they taught me like oh here's data structures here's like you know crazy algorithms that I never thought about before. And I was like, wow, this is so much better. I was basically like, it's like I was trying to draw the Mona Lisa with like a dull pencil. <laughs> and then they were like, you know, you know, we have paints like right here, right? And I was like, oh, oh, oh. wow. <laughs> Just, it, it's, it's a big difference. For people who are starting today, who are interested in getting into game development, what course would you recommend? Uh, college is very expensive, and if you're not fortunate mm-hmm. enough to be a president's scholar and get a, a full ride, uh, that's a big financial burden. Uh, yeah. For for the people who you interacted with professionally in the game development world, do you notice a stark difference between the quality of people who have studied this more academically versus people who are self-taught? What, what's the what's the course of action that you would recommend for someone who wants to get into this? Well, my thing is I don't usually know if somebody is self-taught or not. Like, it's not something that they usually advertise, I guess. So, you know, the people I know who are great programmers, they could have taught themselves or they could have, you know, went through college. So it's really, that's hard to say, I guess. But I really like GameMaker as a learning tool for game development. It's so much easier than a lot of the, uh, like, Unreal or Unity those are pretty difficult to yeah. learn, especially if you don't know programming. Whereas Game Maker literally has like a drag and drop system if you don't want to program, which use it for a little bit, then maybe move on to actual coding. But uh, as for courses, I don't really know because I didn't do them. <laughs> I just went to SMU. <laughs> That's fair. Usually, yeah, there's, there's probably stuff online though. YouTube is a gold mine for stuff like this. What sorts of projects had you done in Game Maker before getting onto Rivals of Aether full time? So I started making this video game where you played as a little little pirate dude who could jump and spin in the air. And I actually made like, it was like a full length game. And this was in probably ninth grade or something. And then after that, I never finished another game ever again. <laughs> many ideas and I would start on one get like 25% of the way done and they like whoa I'm really interested in this other thing ah, 25% of the way there new thing wow I love new things and just it kept going until I actually like 
had a job where I had to <laughs> If you don't finish it, you don't get paid. Man, I relate so strongly to that. It's so much more fun to start new projects than it is to finish them. That first 25%, that, that's the most fun 25%. Uh, that's awesome. Can you explain, I, I was reading through some of the comments on uh, Steam for Rivals of Ether, and there were a bunch of Ronald McDonald jokes. Someone described the game as Smash, but with Ronald McDonald. What's the... What's that about? So last year, was it last year? It might have been last year. I think it was last year. We added Steam Workshop support to the game, which means people can go in and make their own characters. Oh. Like you, you import a bunch of sprites, uh, you code a character. Honestly, that would be a good way to learn how to program. Buy Rivals of Ether and make your own character. Oh, oh there we God. go. There's the plug. Oh, whoa. Learn how to program with my game. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So we released that, and uh, one of the earliest mods that somebody released was this Ronald McDonald, who was just like an anime character who would just go around uh, like shooting hamburgers out of his fingers, <laughs> doing like a McDonald's french fry laser beam or something. It was so weird. And then the coolest part about it was they actually custom coded their AI, which most people don't do. Like I give them access to the AI script, but nobody touches it because the default AI is functional. Mm -hmm. They went in and they coded a really hard AI. So beating Ronald McDonald is like an achievement. <laughs> and it's great. And so basically it became this big meme and competitive Rivals players hate it because they're like, oh, these people only think of Ronald when they think of Rivals. I'm like, oh, it's just, like, it's funny. Who cares? How amazing to have such a rich community that you can uh, have this platform where anyone can make their own Thing in a game where it's it's moddable, and then people actually do and put serious work into it, and then that feeds in on itself. Oh, just some of the things people make are just like, how did you do? It? Like we don't we don't give them like full creative control. Like it's it's sort of sandboxed. It's it's a pretty open sandbox, but it is still sandbox. And some of the things that they manage to do, I'm just like, wow, <laughs> how did you do that? And also, just the amount of characters that they've released, like. But where do they find the time? You should, uh, do do I would say hire them, but they're doing the work already for free. So I guess you don't need to do that. The funny thing is, so when I moved from Rivals to this project, we actually did hire one of the modders who released one of the first oh, mods. Oh, cool. And, and he's like the main programmer on Rivals now. Um, just because he released a cool character. And we were like, whoa. And then he turns out he had a bunch of game maker's experience. And we're like, oh, why don't we hire him? Amazing. That's yeah, we've hired a few people like that. Like our uh, esports manager is just a really good player who was hosting a bunch of tournaments, and then he was like uh, hosting this huge grassroots league, and then we were like, "Wow, he's really good at this. We should pay him to do this for us." And now he does, and it's great. It's incredible. I'm so I'm so envious of uh, the the fervor of the culture that's in in the sort of software businesses that I'm involved in. There's such an emphasis placed on trying to build an audience and trying to build a following of people who aren't just using your thing and would switch to it as soon as they're given the chance if it was a little cheaper or was a little faster or something. But you, you want to build a following of people who you're helping holistically and, and have some sort of semblance of a culture. And that's so hard to do with, like, you know, file transfer software. People aren't going to be, you know, <laughs> making mods for fun to put Ronald McDonald in that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it seems so different in games of this is something that people do for fun. This is something that 
I see people having very core to their identity of saying, I am a Rivals of Ether player and I compete in this professionally yeah. and I love it so much I'm going to make a mod to put Ronald McDonald in the game just <laughs> for fun, for the, for the absurdity of it. Uh, what is that like? Uh, from the way you've described it in previous conversations we've had, it seems almost like you are a public celebrity in certain circles. When you go to a Smash tournament yeah. or something, people know who you are and want to get your autograph and think, well, what's that like? Do you feel like a like a like, celebrity? Of, uh, what? In some ways, yeah, but it's like a, it's a very minor celebrity. And it's very rare if I'm not at a, like a Rivals of Ether tournament that I'll get recognized. It does happen sometimes. And those are, I'm always like, what? Why would you know what I look like? But it, it's happened like a handful of times. Uh, but at Rivals tournaments, yeah, pretty much everyone there, you know, who actually follows the game, you know, in any medium to large sense, knows who I am and will, like, be like, oh, hey, why don't you buff my character and nerf this other character? I'm like, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> Build your own plugin to do that. <laughs> yeah. Which we actually uh, offer that. We, that was before we had Workshop, we had Dev Mode. Which was just, hey, you can change all the numbers on every character in the game. Oh, you do whatever you want. Cool. And that was actually really useful for balance testing because somebody would be like, oh, this moves too strong. I was like, oh, make a better version, then maybe I'll use this. How many people go and, to those uh, Rivals tournaments? Is that tens or hundreds or thousands yeah, of people? Hundreds, hundreds of the big ones. Amazing. Um, I think, let me, let me look. I think our biggest one was Genesis 7. Uh, entrance. I think it had like three to five hundred or something. Wow. Yeah, that was our biggest one. That one was really cool. Oh, and that was uh, that was last January. So right before we had to stop doing things. <laughs> That's so yeah. many people, and then uh, a, a huge percentage of them know who you are. I know what what does that feel like to be so well known? And loved by that many people who flew out to engage in a tournament from a game that you made. Honestly, I don't even know how to react when a, when like a fan comes up and is like, "Oh my god, that's like I'm just a regular person. <laughs> I'm here to play the game too." Like, yeah, it's it's definitely weird and not not something you expect when you go into game development, honestly. But it, I think why that happens is because our team is so small. So right now, I think we have like 12 people. And that's the biggest we've been ever. Like back when we first released the game, I think we had five, which that's crazy. This yeah. sounds like since graduating and getting in touch with Dan, this is now your full-time thing. I remember in college, you were spitting out a whole bunch of 25% complete games. There was one that I was in. I think you made a little uh, pixel art anime version of me, and I had some ability. I, I don't remember what it was. It was like a... Yeah, you, had, you had a big electric like, pole. Yeah. It was pretty, that was like, it was like a Fire Emblem game, but with all my friends as the characters. Yes, yes. And you had this like, electric pole where you could like pole vault onto the enemy. It was, it was pretty yes. cool. I never got to play yeah. it. it was, I, I just saw you playing it. I'd love a copy of oh, it. I still I have it. I think I, uh, maybe not on this computer. I definitely have it on the computer over there. I love that. Uh, so going from this this very divergent, you know, you get the in inspiration for a game and, and you start it to your primary focus is Rivals of Ether, and then whatever the, the secondary secret project for April Fool's Day is of that. Uh, do you find yourself still 
becoming inspired and working on projects 25% of the way on just on your own personal time or is, is all of your attention directed towards the, the company work? It's pretty much just towards rivals. I haven't really, well, okay, that's not true. I did design work for this other game, but I haven't actually programmed anything that wasn't rivals in probably a few years, honestly. Just because I program all day, and I'm just, I do not want to program after work. It's like, oh man, that's a lot. I feel that. It's a lot of time on screen sitting down. I wish there was a way to do this type of work that wasn't so screen heavy. If I could do this while walking, that would be so much better. Probably better for me. Well, you could probably get like a standing desk and a treadmill. Mm -hmm. And then maybe make it work. Yeah. That's in the direction of what I want, but it's still the keyboard. It's still it's still a lot of doing this, and all of this needs to be stationary, and I don't like that. I'm. Have you tried VR? Are are you? What, what's your take on VR? Uh, so the last time I tried it was a few years ago, and it was like okay at that point. It might be better now, but I would never want to develop a game in VR. Oh, actually, I do. In, at Guildhall, we had to, our capstone project, our final project for the whole, like, entire time there, was, uh, was something we had to make compatible for VR. Hmm. That was awful. Oh my god, I hate it. <laughs> it's just, they're not, at least back then, they weren't powerful enough to handle, like, basic lighting hmm. or any complex particle effects or something like that. It was so obnoxious. It's a it's a lot harder. There's a lot more computation you have to figure out. Of mm -hmm. it's not just a single screen. You have to yeah. have binocular vision and also be able to move your head at yeah. sixty frames a second. And you have to account for like motion sickness. Yep. If you make somebody sick, it's really bad look on your yep. game. And it's that's so weird. So I I just got the Oculus Quest Two headset from Facebook, mm -hmm. and that blew my mind. It's a standalone headset. Really? It's three hundred dollars, and it's really good. It's not fully robust. The graphics aren't amazing, but you just strap it on. You connect yeah. it to Wi-Fi, and there's you feel like you're in a different place. So tying this back to the more humane computing of what would it look like if I could use more of my body or walk around, I'm very optimistic about what virtual reality might bring to software development. You're in this environment where you can interact with a computer, and you can use your entire body. You can use your hands and, and be moving your arms and not just have everything stationary. What would it look yeah. like if you could be inside of game maker instead of having game maker out in this screen in front of you it's it's something i'm thinking a lot about how would, how would you type because you still have to code yeah there's other interfaces that would let you code with your voice so like talon is a technology i'm very interested in that lets you talk and say commands and that types out the code and as uh ml gets better in voice recognition and coding languages get higher level i could see I don't know, maybe you're in the game and then you just have a conversation with the computer and say, oh, actually, I'd like this reddish color to be bluish and it can interpret what that means <laughs> and make the, the underlying yeah. code change. That's yeah. something I'm, I'm very excited about. I don't, I don't know if I would do that. I think it would just be so much slower. It definitely would at first. And I would like to think the health advantages of not yeah. just sitting down all day would make it <laughs> more, uh, more yeah. worthwhile. Um, I would love to ask, pulling back, who were you at SMU? If I was talking to freshman PS Trevor Youngblood in 2000, what is that, 2010? Uh, yeah. What are his hopes and dreams? What does he want out of life? What, what's his deal? 
Uh, really, I've always been like very focused on being a game designer. Mm. Like, that was, that was my goal forever. But as a person, I went to college being like, you know what? School's kind of easy for me. Let's have fun while also doing well in school because we love it. <laughs> uh, but I, I was basically like, let's make a bunch of friends and have a good time. And just like, man, it was a good time. <laughs> I, I'd say I was successful in what I wanted to do. Love it. And then you were able to find this opportunity. I think before you graduated, you started working on this game. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, I started, I started working on this uh, six months before I graduated. Georgia. Amazing. What a dream career for people interested in game design. You, you, oh. It's... Yeah. There's literally, I don't think there's a job that I would pick over the one I have. You picked a good career. Yeah, I don't think there is one. What makes this career so desirable for you? What what makes this better than anything else you could be doing? So, what, all the things that I would want to do, like have a, that have a, a value over zero of Trevor wants to do this thing, would be anything game design related, pretty much. Anything else is just not an option. I don't want to do those things. I, I hate regular programming. Oh my god. I hate it so much. It's not fun. Uh, and then there's a smaller subset of things that I would feel fulfilled doing, which I think are the game design jobs that have a little bit of it, where I feel like I'm making a difference in the studio, like uh, where I have some sort of creative control in the game. So, and that that cuts out 90% of game designer jobs because. You know, if I was working on Call of Duty, I'm going to be making something, you know, something important, but something that I don't really get a say in how it's done or what I'm doing to achieve it. Um, whereas with a company of five people, I'm making a lot of decisions every day where, you know, I could change so many things about the game and it would impact everybody who plays it significantly. And that's, I don't know, that's, that for, for me, that's, a necessity of a job. That sounds ideal. I love the value of autonomy and freedom, and i I can see why I can see why you don't feel the need to have creative projects outside of this because you have that autonomy, you have that creative freedom within the job that you're doing. That's incredible. Yeah, because I'm like one of the so it's me and Dan basically are basically the only two people who are designing the characters for the mm. game. Like every character is either you know, it's some some percentage my idea, some percentage Dan idea. There's there's one character in the game that's almost 100% my idea. And it's so cool seeing people play their character. Because I'm like, wow, you wouldn't be playing that character if I didn't make that character. <laughs> <laughs> How rewarding. And then, yeah. uh, do, do you, are you able to see statistics of the total number of hours that people have spent playing the game? Ooh, n number of hours? I don't think so. But there are people who have like over four or five thousand hours. Four or five thousand hours. Yeah. My I mean, gosh. Like as a developer, I don't even have half of that, and I I have to play the game every day. There's, it's honestly insane. Twenty. Are you trying to look up how many days five thousand yeah, hours? Yeah, two hundred and eight days straight. <laughs> so. I mean, I have so as a developer, I have almost two thousand. Okay. 
That's your job. Yeah, which, That's you got to test your game. That's work. I've been working on it for like five years now, so it's that's expected. There are people with double that. That's incredible. What a what an impact you've had on people's lives of the the number. Of, you're not alive for that many hours in, in for over the course of your life to to have such a huge chunk of. You have oh, yeah. created the experience that people are. Oh, oh my gosh. Put that oh, back on. You've created the experience that people are effectively living their lives to do. This is, uh, you know, you don't have that many hours of free time during the day. After you, you cut out sleep and cut out work and cut out, you got to get food and feed yourself. Yeah. Okay, we have, in, in most people's lives, like maybe five hours that you're able to spend on other things. And somehow someone's figured yeah. out how to spend 5,000 hours playing your game. That's amazing. This yeah. is, it's, you've, you've created the thing that now seems like... That's now what they're striving to spend more time doing. This is, they would, yeah. seems like rather be doing this than, than anything else. That's incredible. What a, what an experience you've yeah, made yeah. for people. I mean, they're the, the like top level players, they spend so much time playing the game because they have to, because yeah. they're trying to win the tournaments. Because we actually do, we, uh, even though we have like a 10th of the entrance of something like Melee at these big tournaments, we have the same prize pot because we're just like, you know, fuck it. Let's just throw in a few thousand dollars so people will want to practice the game yeah. and get better. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really nice to feel like the community appreciates what we're doing. Because, you know, with a company like Nintendo who hates their community. <laughs> oh, yikes. You know, they, they literally would rather see the competitive community die than help them out. Uh, and it's just such a nice change of pace to have a developer that's actually working for the community. Why do you think that is? Why does Nintendo not like the competitive scene? They hate at free advertisement? I don't know. They're just stupid. It's so weird. Like, Here's an example of what they have recently done. Um, so there's... Melee is obviously not happening right now because there's no online... Uh, you know, it, it was made for the Nintendo GameCube, so you can't play that game online but obviously there are emulators so you can and so people are running big tournaments on emulators because that's all you can do during a pandemic and nintendo's like emulators that doesn't sound right let's shut the entire thing down and people are just like why why would you do that they, there's you are not selling this game anymore why would you stop people from playing it <laughs> and what i i think it does come down to uh IP protection, basically. Hmm. Gross. I'm sure a lot of people, even in Nintendo, would be frustrated about that. If I was a programmer oh, in yeah. Nintendo who had helped make Melee, that's that's not what I want. I don't. I, yeah. I wouldn't really care. Yeah. No, I'm sure it's just the businessmen at the top. Uh, businessmen. Completely. Yeah, they're just they, they have no idea what they're doing, and it sucks because there are so many other companies that are so positive with their communities, like Sega. Sega loves when people make Sonic fan games. They will promote it on their Twitter. They're just like, hey, look at this cool fan game somebody released for Sonic. Yeah, they're really cool. <laughs> and Nintendo will literally send cease and desist to people who try to make a fan game. Gross. It's crazy. Whereas you're taking the opposite it's approach. You're making things as open as possible and having a platform so people can augment the game and put Ronald McDonald in it. It's a, it's a much more creative maker community that makes a lot more sense i i just think it's, it's more fun to be like mm. that like 
Why would you want to be a evil corporation? Nobody wants that. No. Oh. You're living your life in a positive way, uh, bringing more joy to yeah. the world. Can you explain to me the concept of video game tournaments? I have seen a few of them. I've never competed in one. Yeah. Uh, my brother Justin has done Smash tournaments a little bit. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he plays, he mains as, uh, I want to say Jigglypuff? Is that, could that be a character he would main? Is that a... Yeah, it's just been in every iteration of the game. Okay. So. I, I think that's what yeah, he, he made. It's a, it's a concept that's very interesting to me because it's as if you've invented a sport and yeah. people invest time in it like any other sport and, and compete in it. What What is that culture like? What And what's that like from your perspective uh, as, as someone who's uh, making a game that's now being played competitively? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm so curious about the whole yeah. scene. So basically, I got into the competitive Smash scene um, probably about eight or nine years ago, so before I started with Rivals. And so I experienced that side of the community first, which was, you know, just a bunch of people like who love the game. One person is like, I want to host a tournament for people who love this game. And they just invite a bunch of people over to their house or something, and then basically it just keeps growing until it's this huge thing with like 100 entrants every week uh and really that's that's like that's the dream of anybody who's hosting these tournaments is you know start small make it big and then eventually get hired onto our team <laughs> and really it's just it's such a cool culture because you're right it, it is a sport like you know it's it's not as physically demanding as regular sports but it is you know it does take as much practice it takes as much like determination it's honestly crazy seeing how much time people will put into these kinds of things from from both a like tournament organizer perspective and a player perspective have you competed in these do you have you coded in any cheat codes in your games so you can you just tap no. a sequence and it's like oh this is trevor playing we'll make sure he wins that would be i've thought about it but i have not done that because competitive integrity is important. Mm, integrity is important, uh, and also not admitting that you've done that on a <laughs> podcast is also uh, very yeah, important. Yeah, a problem with that also is no matter how hard you make something to find in a game, somebody's gonna find it. It's literally impossible to hide anything from anybody. How interesting if, yeah, I guess with the, the number of hours of human attention that are being paid on this, I imagine every nook and cranny of everything you're building is yeah. gonna get to play like, how rewarding is a programmer that you know you know that there's such a base of people who are so interested in and captivated by this thing that you've created that anything you do will have attention on it and, and will be scrutinized i i was so frustrated last year i spent like two months building this feature that uh i launched it and i was i was so excited thinking oh man everyone's gonna be so excited about this thing and no one even discovered it for about four months. And I know that because one day someone emailed me and said, hey, I'm trying to use this feature, but it's not working. And I went in my code and it was broken for four months. Like no one could use it. And th th there was there was such little attention being paid to it that uh, the, it, it took four months for someone to realize it. Right. Wow. Right. Whereas you, yeah. you're describing if you hid an Easter egg in this thing, uh, someone would eventually yeah. find it that's so different on yeah, that i see why you're very go ahead yeah this happened very recently we we had a stage that wasn't intended to be released but it was pretty much done um but we ended up like changing it to something else 
But then the uh, we we left that one in the code, um, with no way to access it. But then like I think two months ago, uh, the other programmer was like, I think I'm just gonna put like a little Easter egg where if you mash on this button a bunch of times and then select this thing or something, and it'll bring you to that stage. And people found it like within two to three weeks. <laughs> it's like. Why would you randomly mash on this button and then go press that one? But like, who does? Amazing. Do you, are people just? Do they have monkeys on their controllers? Just. <laughs> they're they're infinite monkeys, and they're all typing on the keyboard, and eventually they'll write Shakespeare or find everything. <laughs> oh man, what a what a! I see why this type of development is so much more rewarding for you than traditional development. Makes a lot of sense. The, the community is so much more engaged. That's so cool. Uh, what is a typical day in your life? When, what, what does work look like, and uh, what, what happens after work? And are, are you engaging with your community as a typical part of the day? What, what does a day look like? So, so I wake up in the morning. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to get up because I hate waking up. But then I eventually get up. And then I go shower, whatever, clock in awake. Then basically my entire workday is I have this big list of things to do on this new project that I'm working on right now. And I find whichever one looks the most appealing to me right now and do that one and switch over to another one. And then I wait until somebody messages me, which is usually either an animator, uh, Dan, or some... Uh, like a, a player who has like found a bug or something. Um, and then once they give me a new task, I switch to that. So basically my whole job is jumping from task to task to task, just finishing a bunch of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then, then I take my dog out for a walk four times, no, three times while I'm at work. And then I get off work and usually I will play uh, Smash for like an hour, an hour and a half, almost every weekday. Um, with you, you remember uh, Michael Saunders? Yeah. Me and him play almost every day. So. All right. Yeah. Which you know we're playing Seattle to Dallas, which is like eighty ping or something. So it's not the best connection, but it's it's playable. It's not too bad. Um, and then. Let's see, then I stop at about 5.45 and go start cooking, which, oh my god, I started cooking like two years ago now, and man, it's so fun. Yeah. Oh my god, it's like, it's honestly, it's another creative outlet for me. It feels like, like drawing, programming, and cooking are now my three creative outlets. <laughs> man, it's so great. What are your go-to dishes? Then, what are you cooking? Oh man, my favorite thing that I cooked recently, I found this this uh, tikka masala recipe, and man, I, it's it's one it's one that's actually like authentic. And I was like, you know what? That doesn't sound too hard. I can make my own curry paste. I can use like yogurt to marinate stuff. That's easy. And I did it. It was easy, and it came out amazing. Oh my god, that was great. Then my birthday was last week, and I cooked some ribeyes. Yeah, I love cooking right now. It's great. Happy belated birthday. Then, I uh, feel like a bad friend. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I even posted on your wall. I, I don't keep telling you. It's fine. Uh, then, after I cook, then Silver usually gets home. 
and then we eat dinner, and then we'll just do whatever for the rest of the day. It's usually, like, since quarantine started, you know, it's really just stay at home and do nothing. It sucks. I'm so ready for quarantine to be done. We got the vaccine. Hopefully that'll that'll be soon. (laughs) So that that initial part of your workday does not sound very different from watching you work when we were living together. How was your life affected by uh, COVID? It's the same. My work life was not affected. Great. At all. Yeah. Well, I guess right before COVID, I was going over to Dan's house to program like two times a week, which is barely different. It's, it was just me doing the exact same thing at his house instead of here. So really quarantine did not affect my work life except oh my god except right when it started sylvie's work shut down for like a month so she was just at home while i'm at home trying to work and she wanted my attention all the time (laughs) i'm just like i'm gonna die (laughs) (laughs) oh that was yeah so now we know that she can't work from home (laughs) oh being an optometry that I, I could see how that would be difficult to, to work from home. Yeah. It, it, she was doing it for like two to three months. Oh, she actually was. Uh, That's, okay. Yeah, they, they, they shut down completely for like a month, and then they did remote uh, like vision therapy and checkups for like two gotcha. months. Gotcha. I'm so confused as to how that would logistically work. I'm excited to interview Sylvie mm-hmm. and get more. Yeah, me too, honestly. That, that was crazy. <laughs> you mentioned your work is feeding off a list of things to do. Where does that list come from? Is that things that you're making up yourself? Is that coming from bug reports from players? So basically, in order to do tasks, I kind of have to have a list. And I've learned that throughout the, like, five years working on Hmm. games, where, you know, if I try to do something without a list of smaller tasks to do, I'll just stop working completely. Hmm. So uh, basically, in order to start the game, um, I had to, you know, put down five things that I wanted to accomplish in the first month. And then for each of those things, I just wrote down a big list. And basically everything since then is just stuff that I noticed when playtesting the game. So I'll be playing it and then I'll notice like, oh, this feels weird or, oh, I forgot to put this animation in. And I'll just add that to the list and get to it eventually. Um, Basically it helps me to maintain my workflow so I don't have to like, break what I'm doing every time I see something new. It's honestly, it's one of the best things for productivity I've done. Forcing myself to make lists because I'm not a natural list maker. I don't, I don't do that. I just, I jump from idea to idea. But if I write it all down, it becomes so much more manageable. It sounds like your work is very self-directed, directed, and has been. And that's that's a thing that a lot of people struggle with. I think Sylvia is a very good example of when left to your own devices. And I've felt this myself. I, I, for the first few years of working on my own, I would just burn time, and I developed a video game addiction for a little bit. And would, would when faced with a day of okay, here's the time to work, just fall down these rabbit holes of Reddit and Hacker News and YouTube. What are other mm-hmm. strategies that you've come up with besides lists to be able to? stay productive and be able to get the work done that you want done well part of it is so the listing was the big one and then there's also honestly so 
basically, I, I came to the conclusion that I probably have ADD when it comes to stuff like that. And so I actually uh, got started on medication. Oh. And then, yeah, it's been crazy, like, just amazingly different. Like, I basically, my old workflow was, you know, work on something, and then as soon as I get bored or whatever, go look at, you know, Twitter for a while or do that. And it was basically like you were saying, just, you know, getting distracted with random things. Um, but yeah, ever since starting medication, I was like, damn, I can really focus. This is crazy. Ah, yeah. So for people out there, if you are neglecting your mental health and are having trouble focusing, maybe go see a psychiatrist. That's a pro-level productivity treat hack. Treat your ADD. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. Man, like, on, it was honestly like a 400% productivity increase. That sounds great. I, <laughs> I kind of want to look into that now. I feel like I've gotten to a good place, but what if it'll be like limitless if I, if I start taking some kind of medication and just <laughs> super focused? Yeah. Uh, I was surprised by something you said uh, when you're hanging out with Michael. Uh, you play Smash and not Rivals. Uh, and this is after we talked about yeah. what Evil Corporation Nintendo is and how they're not serving their players as much. Uh, would would playing Rivals after work just be too much Rivals and you need something to de-stress? Or are you stealing features from Smash? Let's... Well, our, so our game is very heavily inspired by Smash. Like it is, you know, I'd say like 70% of the mechanics are straight from Melee because you know, that was what we wanted to base the game on. It's like how every shooter shares the same core right. mechanics. It's, you know, we are a platform fighter. Nintendo made the original platform fighter. And so even though we have a bunch of things like Smash, it's really just the genre has those things. Um, but really it comes down to, I just, I like, I, so the version of Smash that I played, by the way, is Project M. It's a mod of brawl to make it more like melee because melee was the best game ever created ever <laughs> um and brawl sucked so they modded it whatever whatever nintendo tried to shut that down but wasn't really successful because it's you know it's not an official thing it's hard to stop it like that but basically i just really like that game uh and even though i also really like rivals i'm just better at pm so i played it now that makes sense. Cool. Does Michael play Rivals? No, I don't even know if he's ever played. <laughs> this is one of your closest friends. Good. Um, right. Exactly. What other video games do you play? Do you are you all across the map? Are you trying all the all the newest things, or do you stick to the, the genres that you know and the games that you're good at? So, basically, my my video game playing time is probably seventy five to ninety percent. PM, um, just because I play that every day for multiple hours. And then I play a little bit of like Monster Hunter, Binding of Isaac, uh, all the Dark Souls games. Really, it's just there, there's certain games that I just like to play. It's really, I like playing hard games. And that's kind of what inspires a bit of Rivals. Because Rivals is a pretty hard game. Like the people who are at the top are just like, crazy bad like there's literally a zero percent chance that i would ever beat him um because the game is that hard to where if you're that practiced at it the people who aren't as practiced are never gonna beat you. um 
And yeah, I think that does bleed into my, 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 the, the games that I like to play and the games I like to develop are very similar in a lot of ways. Um, but I also really want to play this new game that just came out called Bug Snacks. Oh man, have you heard no, of this? No, what's Bug Snacks? Oh, it's so stupid. It's such a weird game. It's like this cartoony like Muppets visual and the, the people are all these weird things and you can turn their limbs into food. Man, it, it is weird. Um, but it's on PS5 only, which apparently nobody can get a PS5, so... I'll eventually play. Okay, you're in this industry. Do do you not have connections to the people who are making the PS5s? No, that's yeah. so sad. Actually, the PlayStation is the only console we didn't release Rivals on. Oh. We we released it on Xbox One, we released it on Switch, mm-hmm. and then we had PC. Mm-hmm. So we were never on PlayStation. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. Just never never wanted to put on. Well, the thing is, with Xbox, we it's not even up to date with the most current version because uh, our the new version of Game Maker when we upgraded, there were so many things to fix on the Xbox version that we were just like we don't have time for this. There's like there's no way we could do this and develop the game and finish it in time. Um, so we just left that version. Uh, and I think honestly, developing games cross platform sucks, and adding more platforms makes it suck exponentially mm. worse. Because oh my god. Like specifically developing for Switch. Oh, it's so goddamn cool. Whoa. <laughs> oh man. I, I I love the Switch. The Switch is a great console. Um, but man, developing for it is just not not something I ever want to put myself through ever again. Gross. Like, cause it's not a good piece of hardware. Interesting. Yeah. From your perspective, what makes the Switch a, a bad piece of hardware? So their online capabilities are just not even as good as the previous generation of consoles. Mm. Like they're just so far behind in that. So our game is mostly played online, especially right now. Um, We released the Switch version this summer. So the entire time that it's been out has been online. But the Switch's online kind of sucks. And so it just ends up, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And it makes us look bad just because the switch is bad hmm. uh, it's, and then also it's just not powerful which our game doesn't it's not you know you can run our game on any computer basically um but the switch just oh man it's pushing the limits which is very strange from a modern console. nintendo i feel like has a very interesting strategy in that regard of they're not pushing their consoles forward technologically the specs on their consoles are not anywhere near as impressive as the playstation 5 or the xbox one those are powerhouses those are supercomputers that are more powerful than any of the previous versions nintendo seems to take the track of trying to do weird things and going divergently and mixing and matching different technologies to make a, a more interesting experience to me that's the most interesting console because it seems like it's much more socially focused. If you're not a serious gamer, if you're not entrenched in this culture and you just want a console that you can have in your living room and if you're throwing a party, uh, <laughs> I guess this was more relevant before COVID. Uh, if you're throwing a party with a bunch of people over and want to just have something that even casual gamers can be a part of, uh, that's very easy to learn. Uh, the Switch is the console to get. Um, yeah, and it's, it's really just the difference of 
uh, trying to make something for a casual audience versus a like serious competitive audience. Um, where you know Sony and Microsoft, you know, obviously they have their casual things too, but they really focus on hardcore. Like we have the best specs. Come play Call of Duty with us because it's really cool. <laughs> and then Nintendo's like, you know, come play Animal Crossing. You can relax and work for fun. It's like, yeah. And it's it's a honestly it's kind of a struggle to balance that sometimes as a game developer, where you have to balance you know the casual audience versus the competitive audience. You know, because you can't just focus on the competitive audience because it's so mm. small. Like it's only like a few hundred or a few thousand maybe people if the game's good, and then the casual audience is like huge. Like ninety percent of the players who play Rivals are casual mm. players. So you know, if you ignore them, it's not good. Yeah. Like you can't you can't make a game that's only competitively focused. That makes sense. Um, and it's really hard to balance that sometimes because you wouldn't think it would be, but making things easier for the casual audience will also uh, kind of dumb it down for the competitive audience, and they don't really don't like that. You know, if you try to uh, a lot of modern fighting games specifically have been doing this. They're trying to level the playing field by making it a lot easier basically trying to make it so that pro players and uh, casual players are more close in skill and sometimes the casual player can even beat like some of the lower pro players not the casuals yeah, I know that. Um, and it's it's really been criticized very heavily um, and I think it's kind of backfired on them actually because a lot of the um, a lot of the marketing that they get is from word of mouth from the competitive players. And so if the competitive players are not liking it, and the casual players will also just hear bad things about it and not pick it up. So it's, man, it, it's a delicate balance. What a difficult problem. How are you modeling that problem? Do you, do you have a dial somewhere that's making the game harder or easier, and you tune it and then see what the feedback is? And if your pro players are saying it's too easy, then you, you tune it back up. And if the casual players are saying it's too hard, no, you tune it back down? Not, not really. It's... It's more of something you design purposefully for, because the pro player is always going to want it to be harder or you know more precise, and the casual player is always going to want it to be easier. So you know none, neither of them are going to say they want that middle ground, but you have to find that middle ground. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the things that I learned at Guildhall actually come into play, because um, game design is hard. It's it's really hard. Like you don't expect that when you look at it, but there's just so many things you have to think about that you don't with normal programming. Like people, I guess this is with normal programming too. People will use your product in ways that they're not supposed <laughs> to all the time. And just thinking about all that stuff, it's it's too much sometimes. <laughs> it's crazy. It's a problem I'm very interested in of following that curve of flow i've heard it referred to if, if it's too boring then uh it, it's too easy and you're yeah. bored and, and you need it to be more challenging and if it's too hard it's it's frustrating and it's too difficult and so riding that wave of flow you have to balance those and, and be able to yeah. track right in the middle and it's and what what makes that so hard is that that the slope of that mm. flow like some people's goes like this some people's goes oh, like this interesting and you have to build the game where both people will feel satisfied. Mm. You can't. You really can't focus on one or the other. Is that concept 
something that's studied at Guildhall, how you design flow curves? Is, are there frameworks around yeah. how to do that? Yeah, we, we had a whole lecture about flow specifically. How interesting. Like that, yeah. That's fun. That's that's some stuff that's very applicable to any oh, sort yeah. of software. That's, that's the other thing. Is game, de game development is hard. It's also very fun. Like, man, yeah. I get to play games all the time. <laughs> oh, at work, I get to get paid playing video games. I love it. You're doing what you love. I'm so I'm so happy yeah. that I, I could imagine a universe where uh, you thought that building video games was a thing that you wanted to do because you really mm -hmm. like playing video games, and then you go there and you get stuck in it. You're like, oh, now I hate video games and I don't even want to touch them. Uh, but you're li yeah. you're living the dream. You're doing exactly what you want to do. You've right. got the creative autonomy to be able to move it in the direction that you want to do. And then after work, you're still playing games, and you're playing games very similar to the game you're playing. You're you're living and breathing the type of thing that you want to be doing. Yeah. And because because the games I'm playing are similar to the ones at work, it helps me get better at my own job by playing other yeah. games, which is pretty cool. Because like. You know, balancing a competitive game is very hard. Um, but because I play this other game that's similar, I can see things that they've done wrong in balance and things that they've done right and be like, oh, okay, that'll help me, you know, know in the future if I ever make a move that's kind of like this one, I know not to do that or definitely do that. You know, it's pretty cool when your hobbies and your work combine, I think. You're just naturally having that positive feedback loop, becoming one of the world's experts in platform fighters. Is that the genre? Yeah, platform fighting, platform fighters. I would say, I, I would say I'm pretty far up there in terms of like platform fighter balance. I would call myself an expert, I think. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Who would you, do you know anyone yeah. better than you? Well, it's hard to say because it's subjective. Sure. I think I'm pretty good. All right. I like that. I have a uh, one yeah. more question. I'm curious about your professional network. Do you find that now all of your friends are people who are also indie game developers, and when you look on Steam, you you know all the people on there? Not so. There there are some. There there are some indie developers that I do know, like um, the guy who made Katana Zero. Um, that was a really popular game recently, and you know we hung out at GDC one time because he's friends with Dan, and. Yeah, basically all my networking comes through Dan. Because Dan networks, I don't network because I don't really have to. So really, most of my friends come from the, uh, the Smash scene, actually, mm -hmm. not the game development scene. Because I don't really meet game developers very often because I haven't been to GDC since that first time I went. Mm -hmm. The only other time I meet them is if I go to like PAX or something. Makes sense. Trevor, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. For listeners who would like yeah. to get in touch with you, maybe people who are interested in following a similar career path or just fans of Rivals of Ether who would <laughs> like to bug you for more balanced changes of the game, uh, how can they get in touch with you? How can they find out more about Trevor Youngblood? So they can reach me on Twitter at Captain Youngblood, C-A-P-N Youngblood, um, or Discord. I don't know my Discord handle, but if you join the Rivals of Ether Discord channel, you can find me there, I think, probably. Perfect. But also, yeah, that's pretty much it, actually. Yeah, but I don't want people to email me. Email, email does suck. I'll include links to both of those in the description. I will let you get back to your dog for the next walk. Chai? Chi? 
Chi Chi. Chi Chi. Hello, Chi Chi. Oh my gosh. So adorable. Adorable little Chi Chi. Uh, goodbye. And hey, PS Love. Yeah, yeah, bye. Bye.